I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, March 22nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, health officials confirm a second coronavirus variant in Mississippi. Then Jackson State University steps up to promote vaccination. Plus, indigenous remains are repatriated to the Chickasaw Nation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi health officials are reporting the first identified case of the South African strain of coronavirus in Harrison County. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says the South African strain of B1351 is more easily spread. Mississippi is is reporting the first case of the South African variant in a resident from Harrison County. Uh, This is also referred to as the B1351 variant. This is concerning um, because we know that this this is a form of the virus that may be more contagious, but also it does seem to have some resistance to some of the vaccines that have been developed especially the Johnson and Johnson, it looks like it may have some diminished effectiveness at preventing symptomatic illness compared to the other strains. It does still seem to show some uh, pretty robust protection against severe illness and hospitalization, but it's another challenge that we face because this is going to be a little bit, would be a little bit more difficult to control with the, uh, with the vaccine and also our normal sort of uh, prevention measures. So this is a double indication for us to go ahead and get vaccinated, protect yourself, protect your family, and to take common sense precautions such as wearing a mask in public and avoiding large indoor social gatherings. State epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers is urging people to get vaccinated. He says even though some of the vaccines may not prevent infection, he says they will still reduce hospitalizations and deaths. In some cases, uh, uh, when it's not as uh, protective against clinical infection, it's important to remember that an individual who's infected, even after they've been vaccinated, may still be able to transmit infection. So that's why I think it's important, even after we've been vaccinated, if you're in public places, you need to continue to wear a mask. But when we talk about really what is the impact that we're trying to have, 
and that is to limit the morbidity and mortality from infection, protect our healthcare system, protect the vulnerable population. I think that that is a strong encouragement to continue to to get vaccinated. Um, not only do we want to protect our our loved ones, but we want those folks uh, to be protected. And if they get a clinical illness, but don't have to go to the hospital and don't have a a severe outcome, that's a win. There have been over 302,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Mississippi since the pandemic began with nearly 7,000 related deaths. Coming up, Jackson State University steps up to promote vaccination. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's expanded coronavirus vaccine eligibility means college students are now able to get their shots and colleges and universities in the state are hosting COVID-19 vaccination clinics to make access easier. This weekend, Jackson State University attracted nearly 300 students, faculty and community members. JSU President Thomas Hudson tells MPB's Kobe Vance vaccination is the best path forward or towards normalcy. It's going to have a tremendous, uh, a tremendously positive impact on our campus. Uh, in order for us to really reopen and get some semblance of normalcy back, it's going to be important for as many of us as possible to get vaccinated. And particularly with our students, it's very important that they get vaccinated, start protecting themselves and protecting their loved ones. So having events such as this, um, you know, making sure as many as possible get vaccinated. Uh, a lot of these students will be going home in a few weeks uh, after the end of the spring semester. So want them back, ready, safe uh, to go this fall and this this is going to help in furtherance of that and, and to speak looking forward to the fall do you think that this is do you think the schools can be able to uh, open up a bit further into the fall uh we do we plan to be fully open this fall uh you know of course we'll keep having uh campaigns and awareness campaigns such as this uh we'll continue to mask up social distance uh as long as appropriate and as long as uh those cdc guidelines are in place but certainly the vaccination uh events such as this will help us fully reopen this fall now, can you talk more about this event and the partnerships that are going into it? Uh, yes. Well, this is, again, in collaboration with the Jackson Highs Comprehensive Health Clinic uh, under uh, the leadership of Dr. Jasmine Chapman. And this really just started as a conversation between she and I and them offering to come on site uh, to offer this vaccination to our faculty staff. And then, of course, we extended it to our students once that uh, statewide uh, mandate came about. So uh, very happy, very excited about the partnership. They've been great. Uh, throughout we've provided logistics and things like that and it's been a really successful day is this the first of these kind of events this is the first uh the first of many to come uh, we'll be doing this on a regular basis we'll also be offering the vaccine on site uh through our own health clinic so again it, it, it's going to be a great overall event for us and now you mentioned that y'all have extended it to students mm-hmm. does that mean y'all been planning this for a while 
Uh, well, we were planning to offer to students as soon as we were able to. And so once the governor uh, and the State Department of Health put that out there, that it's extended to all, you know, everyone over the age of 16, uh, we were ready to go. We were ready to go. Our students are ready to go as judged by the turnout that you see today. And now how are y'all getting students to turn out? Do you have uh, programs to help raise awareness or just encourage students to get out here? Awareness, uh, this came about pretty quickly, so we've done a great job in terms of awareness through social media, mass emails, uh, even word of mouth. Uh, you know, we've had some of our student leaders come, and they'll tweet out uh, the fact that, hey, I got my vaccine, and it's really spurring a lot of activity that way also. Okay. Is there anything else that I might not have touched on that you want to echo maybe not even just for the students and the teachers here at Jackson State but for all Mississippians looking into the what y'all are doing here well look I encourage everyone to get vaccinated uh, that's the only way we get on the other side of this pandemic we're very close uh, so everyone should get vaccinated but in the meantime you know you have to continue to mask up social distance and really follow those CDC guidelines you have to protect yourself and your loved ones and then one last thing I wanted to go back on is uh, you mentioned earlier students might be going home uh, do you think this is going to help students be able to have a more peace of a more of a peace of mind going home to see their families and spend the summer? Yeah, probably the biggest uh, issue and the biggest anxiety we saw uh, coming uh, from the fall semester over the Christmas break was going home and giving this to a loved one, an elderly grandparent, a parent, an aunt, an uncle. So this will help give them some ease of mind that they come back and they can protect themselves and them loved ones. Jackson State University President Thomas Hudson with our Kobe Vance. Coming up, indigenous remains are repatriated to the Chickasaw Nation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Chickasaw Nation is receiving the remains of 403 Native Americans along with 83 lots of burial objects from the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. The return marks the largest repatriation of human remains in Mississippi history and the first for the state agency. Meg Cook is the Director of Archaeology Collections. The Chickasaw Nation has um, a very lengthy past in Mississippi. We acknowledge that the land here that we live and work on is their original homeland, and they were located um, in the northwestern part of the state primarily, but as uh, we know, there were all sorts of movements that occurred over the years, and so it it creates kind of a... a I guess, a, a change over time that is represented in the archaeological record um, in a way that is reflected <clears throat> differently than where they're located today. Of course, removal, they're in Oklahoma, and this repatriation has given them an opportunity to uh, reclaim some of the ancestors that were left here. Why are they in Oklahoma now? Was this a forced exit from Mississippi? Yeah, so there was a removal um and and they moved out to to Oklahoma at that time. It, some went by force. Other tribes uh, kind of partnered with the um, 
United States government and uh, and worked to push other groups out. Um, but ultimately, it, it was a removal, a, a planned and executed removal. This represents the largest repatriation of Native American ancestors in state history. Why? How? When? Tell us the story behind this, because it's rather incredible. Yeah, it, it is incredible. And so NAGPRA, the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, is really what fueled uh, this this whole process. And when that act uh, came into law in 1990, <clears throat> Native Americans gained the right to uh, claim ancestors that have re- been removed from their resting place uh, through archaeological excavation or, or other means. So this affects all institutions uh, receiving federal funds, and um, MDAH falls within that category. Now, our archaeology collection uh, has seen a total overhaul in management and in the way that we care for the collections. And when I took over a couple of years ago, I noticed that um, we had many, many ancestors that um, had not been documented. So we began that project a few years ago to document these individuals with the National NAGPRA program as required. And we began receiving claims from Chickasaw Nation for many of these ancestors. And so really, it's our partnership with Chickasaw Nation that has kind of led to this monumental repatriation. And we've grown um, to be very close with all of our tribal partners. We actively consult with 11 federally recognized groups. It's it's not just Chickasaw Nation. And, um, and we've made a change to become really active in our um, execution of NAGPRA. So instead of just sitting back and waiting for these uh, tribal nations to claim their ancestors, we're reaching out. Um, we're reaching out you know, at least two times a month. We, we send an update with our process and what we're doing. Um, and, and it's gone really well so far. It's, it's become a reciprocal relationship wherein we get to learn, uh, about the connectedness of these cultures that still exist today. You know, these are pre-contact individuals that we've been able to repatriate, but. What does that mean? Pre-contact? Pre-European contact. Um, so another way to say it is prehistoric pre-written uh, record in, in the United States. How did you know where to go to find the remains and to find the artifacts? Oh, that's a great question. So most of the remains in our care came from um, Delta farming practices. As agricultural uh, practices changed over the years, a lot of land leveling has occurred, and often uh private landowners would contact the Department of Archives and History and say, you know, I've come across a site, I'm, I'm, you know, exposing artifacts, y'all can come and excavate for a a period of time and save what you can, but I I need to plant my crops. So uh, that's really how we came into a lot of these individuals and their objects. And also, we have some individuals that came from other institutions 
um, who have very small staff or maybe they're just a volunteer-run organization and they're not equipped to um, go through the NAGPRA process. And um, we have been able to transfer some of those individuals to our institution so that we can uh, oversee their return. How many remains have been discovered and reunited? That is also a good question. We actually are not aware of the total number of individuals in our collections, and there's a reason for that. Uh, We just started formally inventorying them um, recently, <clears throat> about a year ago, and we're working with a bioarchaeologist who can help determine the minimum number of individuals. So as we go through our counties and the different sites uh, with collections that we retain, we go through each uh, box very carefully, and when we encounter human remains, those are immediately um, given over to our bioarchaeologist who can tell us the minimum number of individuals that is within that particular collection, and then we're able to report that to uh, the National NAGPRA program. But what's more is we report it also to our tribal partners in in a monthly update. So we, we let them know we have an update, and we also have a call every month and um, so that if documentation is not updated quickly, you know, nationally, at least they have the the information directly from us. So at this point, we um, have 403 individuals in our care that have been assessed, and we expect that number to grow. We do think that it will double, um, maybe a little more than double, because we have only had bioarchaeological assessment for about half of the collection at this point. So um, we plan to prioritize sites that the, our tribal partners are um, interested in so that we can get those ancestors home. When tribal members were buried, were there traditions of items that were buried with them that have been recovered? Yeah, the, there were many traditions, right? And And it's important to realize that There were uh, many different Native people that occupied Mississippi, and they were all very different. They had their own languages. They had their own separate cultures. So burial practices vary. Um, And, of course, that is kind of a sensitive subject. Um, But I do also want to humanize these uh, people because they were people. Um, They, At one particular site, they were buried with their dogs, um, there are dogs buried with the people and um, and also on their own. And some of the dogs are buried with their own um, elaborately decorated vessels with contents in the vessel. Um, these were all important things uh, to travel with these individuals and their pets into uh, the next step of their existence. And uh, it's just really important that we remember that, that these are people, so many People make the mistake of, oh, well, this, these were excavated. These are just bones. But, you know, um, there's a sense of closure that we're able to bring to uh, tribal partners and tribal representatives by allowing these individuals to go back um, to, to the ground. It's all fascinating, and I would like people to have the opportunity to find out more about NAGPRA. Is there a place they can do that? Uh, yeah, 
very soon we will have a new website. It'll be nagpra.mdah.ms.gov. And we hope to launch it uh, by the end of the month. And and I, I say that lightly, but um, but it's ready to go. And there'll be a, a public interfacing with an interactive map where you can see all of the Mississippi counties and the 37 counties that we have known uh, ancestors from. And so this will work in two ways. It can educate the general public on, you know, uh, our process and kind of what we're doing. And also it can inform our tribal partners on uh, the the number of ancestors and the number of objects and the types of objects uh, that we have that they may wish to claim. Meg Cook is the Director of Archaeology Collections for the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. Meg, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio. 